Ephesians chapter 3. As I was going over my notes and meditating over this passage of Scripture, a couple of things I came across. My uh, stepfather sent me a message um, that I thought was pretty profound. He said he found 20 bucks in the parking lot and he thought to himself, what would Jesus do? So he turned it to wine. <laughs> Is that a bad one or what? <laughs> I mean, here I am in the spirit of God trying to you know, I mean, study the text and I get that message that threw me off. And then I came across this that really penetrated my heart and I sent this out to a few people this morning. What is your boldest prayer or greatest dream for your church? Pews. Oh, no. <laughs> Brian actually likes pews. We need to pray for him. But <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Forgetting the things that are behind and moving forward to the things that are ahead. All right. Um, what are some of the things, the boldest prayer or the greatest dream for your church? I mean, think about that question. Uh, you know, what are some of the things, you know, playing around, somebody sent me a basketball court. Yeah, they want a basketball court for our church. Maybe that'll happen in our new building. I won't mention who that was, but uh, somebody that's sitting in the back there, we'll talk about him in a moment here later. Um, you know, some people gave some spiritual answers. You know, that the Holy Spirit would work in the lives of the people, that there would be real spiritual change and maturity and salvations going on. We wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word and that we would serve the Lord with our whole heart, soul, and mind. I mean, think about what your boldest prayer. Have you ever been bold before God and said, God, I want this at a wide field? Wow. And pray it. And then dream about what can you dream about this church, what God can do here in this church and, and dream and then ask God for that. We're going to we're going to look at this amazing passage of scripture, because if you remember, as we get a little historical here for a moment, Paul's last moments in person with the elders of Ephesus. Do you remember what happened the last time that he was there in person with the elders? He called to them and wanted to talk to them. Well, let me show you here. In Acts chapter 20, verses 36 to 38, it says this. When he said, when he had said these things, so he, he talks to them about how they ought to minister with humility. He talks to them to watch out for wolves that are going to come up amongst the church and, 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 and teach false doctrine. He tells them, watch out for those people. He tells them how they ought to give rather than receive and to think about others. And what does Paul do? Right after he says these things, it says in, in, in chapter 20 here of Acts, verse 36, he knelt down and prayed with them. Can you imagine the prayer? We don't have it recorded. What was he praying at that time? Well, we're going to see in a moment what he prays for them later on. But I mean, what, what an emotional time. I mean, here it is. I mean, here's, here's the one that started the church. Here's the one that's a spiritual father. Here's the one that, that has encouraged him. Now he bows down and prays. And guess what happens? They start to weep. 
And they're not only crying little tears coming down, they're crying loud. You can hear them. And they embrace Paul. And look at this. Isn't this Italian? They kissed him. Isn't that great? A little kiss. In America, that wouldn't go over too well. Not even a handshake now during COVID. I mean, where are they in the way from each other? People are happy. You don't even get the handshake now. But a kiss. doesn't say they kissed him once. How often did they kiss him? I could just see Paul walking down. He just gets done praying. And oh, Paul. They're kissing him on the cheek. And come here, Paul. They're kissing him on the forehead. And they're just kissing him on now, don't do that to me. I don't want that many kisses. But, you know, they kiss every, I mean, just kissing and kissing and kissing them. And, and what do they do? They're weeping. Why? Because it says here in verse 38, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. So their last, their last thoughts of Paul, their last vision of Paul, seeing Paul, is him on his knees praying for them. What was that prayer? What was he begging God for? What did he get down on his knees for and ask God to do? And as we get into this text, this is an amazing prayer because we're going to look at it in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. We're going to look at this. We're going to look at first the very posture of prayer. It says here in, in verse 14, he says, I bow my knees. Now, some people say, do I have to bow down to pray? Well, some people bow down. They're not getting up for a week. But bow down their knees. Is this the way we need to pray? Well, let's be careful about that because this is not a super spiritual prayer that you just because you're on your knees. In fact, if you study the Bible, here's what gets fun. You ever study the Bible of different postures of prayer in the Bible? Look at this. Abraham prayed standing up. You know, a lot of churches, when you come in, he says, will you join me in prayer? Let's all stand for prayer. And people stand to pray. Abraham prayed standing up. David sat before the Lord. I love that prayer in 1 Chronicles 17, 16, where he prays and he says to God, who am I and who is my family that you've, you've brought us this far? Who am I, Lord? He sat before the Lord. You look at other prayers Jesus fell on his face and prayed. I mean, that's a prayer. And then, remember when Daniel wasn't allowed to pray? What did Daniel do? He kneeled on his what? Knees. Which I don't know. Kneeling on his knees. Daniel was on his knees praying to God. Now, I, I personally like to walk and pray. I don't know if you, when you pray, I, I like to walk around and pray. It keeps me alert. I walk around, I pray, I walk around the church, I pray for some of you who walk. I've walked in the parking lot sometimes. I hope my neighbors don't think I'm nuts. But I'm walking around the parking lot, I'm praying for you guys. I'm, I, I like to walk, I like to drive and pray. Now be careful with that. Alright? You make other people pray, some of you, when you're driving. But praying and driving, I like that. I like to drive and pray. I mean, it doesn't say, but let me just say this. When we kneel down and pray, you know what that means? That is the very act of kneeling shows our submission, our respect, our humility, our adoration, and our urgency to God. The moment we get down on our knees, we're saying, God, you are supreme, and you answer any way you want. I humbly accept it. 
Jewish people, now they pray standing up at the wailing wall. But when we kneel to God, we're saying, God, you are supreme. God, I respect you. God, I come in humility. God, I come to adore you. God, this is urgent. And so he's on his knees. This is an urgent prayer. This is He's submissive. And, and who does he pray to? Look at the passage. The personal prayer. I'm on my knees and I pray before the Father. Some people ask, who should we be praying to when we pray? And the Bible's pretty clear. We go to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. The, the Trinity, there's three distinct persons in the Trinity. I tell people, like me and Katie, we're one flesh. But you don't go up to Katie and say, hi, Jeremy, how you doing? And you don't go up to me saying, hi, Katie. We're different. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're three distinct persons, although they're one. And when we pray to God, we go right to the Father. And here's what's amazing. We're calling Him Father. Because he's our daddy. And we're going in and through and the authority of Jesus Christ in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's what he's saying here. He's saying, I bow my knees and I bow my knees to the Father, to the one who cares for us, to daddy. I'm praying to daddy. And look what he says here about the Father. In verse 15, from whom every name in heaven and on earth derives its name. The very act of naming all the angels and the grouping of angels in heaven and all the people here on this earth, the very act that he has created them shows that God is mighty and God is supreme. And here's what it's saying, that, that we have a father that we go to that not only created us, but cares for us. And people say they're unsaved. They say, God's my father. Well, he's really not your father. He created you. God, the father, the creator wants you to be uh, his father. Wants, he wants to be your father. Father as what? As a redeemed person, as someone who comes to Christ. And what he's saying here is that God is supreme. He's wise. He knows what is best. He's going to the God who created all, and he's going to the God who cares. Before he even prays, he's saying, I get on my knees. I go to Daddy, the one that created us, the one that cares for us. And I'm going to pray one thing that could change all our lives. There's only one request in this prayer. It's amazing. It's going to affect everything that we are and do. Don't miss this prayer. Because I know we, we normally don't pray this prayer. This is an amazing prayer. Here's what he says here. I, I, I'm praying to the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Notice this here. The purpose of the prayer. Here it is. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to do what? He would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a lot of words there. But listen to it. To be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. There's the prayer. He's praying 
before the Father, and he's going to Daddy, and he's who created us and cares about us, and he's saying this, I am asking you to make them strong, to give them ability, to give them power. The word there is dynamite. To give them this dynamite power inside of them. How? Through the Holy Spirit. Some people say, how do I have power to live for God? We have the very Holy Spirit to live for God. That I be strengthened with dynamite power through the Holy Spirit. Where? In the, where? Inner man. Now don't miss this. Because there's a big difference in the Bible between the outer man and the inner man. You say, what is this outer man? <laughs> oh man. If you ever want to get depressed... Open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and study the outer man. And I'll tell you one thing, Solomon does not pull any punches. He says, you want to know what's going to happen to your outer man? He said, let me tell you about your eyesight. He says, your eyesight is going to go down. You're going to be seeing less and less. and less. Look how thick. I'm going to be 50 years old in a couple of years. The glasses are getting thicker. I don't, know how, I don't know how thick they can make them. I'm going to be walking around like this when I'm 80. I mean, it's unbelievable. They're getting worse. The eyesight is going hair. You know what happens to hair? You got two options. It goes white or out of sight. I mean, that's what happens to your hair, right? Hearing? What'd you say? You heard about the couple that was fighting one another because they couldn't hear each other? Finally went to the doctor and said, I can't hear him. I'm sick of him. I'm done. I just, it's unbelievable what's going on. She goes, wait, 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 don't, 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 don't do anything. I, well, you, you have to do this. Talk to him 10 feet away, five feet away and three feet away. And then you'll know when you can hear him. And so she, she, she says to him, all right, honey, what do you want for breakfast? Five feet away. What do you want for breakfast? Nothing. Two feet away. What do you want for breakfast? Gets right next to his ear. What do you want for breakfast? He goes, I told you three times. She was the one that couldn't hear, not him. <laughs> teeth. Oh, it talks about teeth in Ecclesiastes 12. Want to know what happens to your teeth? Oh, man, what happens to your teeth? Forget about it. Keep brushing, kids, because they're going to rot out one day. Isn't that great? Brush them all. They're all going. You're going to have dentures soon. Physical strength, you're walking, you slow down. You ever know how slow? I mean, I don't want to, you know, but they're slow, slow. You just, you're walking slow, slower and slower. What's happening to the outer man? I'll tell you what's happening to the outer man. We all belong in Colorado. It's going to pot. <laughs> Didn't like that one, huh? Amen. It is going down. The outer man is decaying. The outer man is susceptible to disease. The outer man is the physical part of us that is going and decaying and is not getting better. Yet, most of our prayers are for the outer man. Think about that. Oh, Lord, help my teeth, help my hair, help this, help that, help my strength, help me get out of bed. I can't walk, help me to hear, help, all about the outer man. Paul doesn't mention any of that. He says, I am praying that you have spiritual power, that the Spirit of God gives you the ability. Where? In the inner man, the core of our being, the true you, by the way, where your personality is, the deep seed of your personality, where your moral, spiritual side is, the center of your emotions, your elect, intellect and will, the inner man, 
You say, why is it so important to have strength in the inner man? Why do I need this spiritual power in the inner man? We're going to see here right in the text. But before we get right there in the text, I'll tell you right now why. We need, we need power in the inner man is to fight against sin and self. That's where the battle is. In the inner man. So if we're praying for, for strength in the inner man to fight against sin and self. We need, we need strength in the inner man to endure trials. We need strength in the inner man to have courage to witness. Some of us don't want to witness. We don't have strength. We need strength in the inner man. We need strength in the inner man to love people like God wants us to love them. And let me tell you something. We need strength in the inner man to stay motivated. Because there are days when we just don't want to go on anymore. I'll tell you, when we walked into the church Thursday and there was that stink because the sink was overflowing with the sewage. And let me tell you what I, how I feel about plumbers. All right? And lawyers. Because I put them in the same group. All right? And I hope there's no plumber or lawyer here. I did this one time when there was plumbers and lawyers in the church. I was in trouble. But there was a pastor about to die. He called his plumber, called his lawyer. You've heard this one before. And he tells the plumber to stay here, the lawyer to stay here, and they're just sitting there for 45 minutes. And finally the lawyer says, what do you do? I got things to do. What do you, why'd you call us here? He goes, sit right here. He's on his bed. He goes, I want to die like Jesus between two criminals. <laughs> That's how I feel about plumbers. Is that a bad one? But let me tell you something. We need strength in the inner man to what? Stay motivated. And here's what we need strength in the inner man to do. This text is beautiful. He's praying for one thing. He's praying for power in the inner man. And here's why he's praying for power. He's praying to allow Christ to feel at home where? In your heart. Now, now don't miss this. What the text says. Look at it. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And, and what he's saying here is that when Christ comes, when we receive Jesus Christ by faith into our hearts, that's he comes into our hearts. He doesn't come into our hearts just to hang out there for a few moments. He comes to stay. There's a difference between a guest and somebody who comes to your house to stay. Guests are like fish. After three days, they stink. It's time to leave. But when you go to a house as a guest, you've all been there. You've been a guest in someone's house. You go there to spend the night. You make sure you don't mess with anything. You know, you go there, you just, you put your bag, you live out of a suitcase. We lived like that for a while, going on deputation. But when you buy a home and you live in the home, that's where you start making the fixing up and doing all that stuff. We were, we, we, we get to Argentina and we rented a place. I'll never forget and we just got there, so we're scared of everybody. And so we rent this place, and we kept the curtains down. We didn't want anyone to see us. I don't know what it was. We kept the curtains down the whole time. We were scared to walk in the streets. We didn't want to mess with the kitchen. We didn't want to touch anything. We just lived there for two months, and we got out of there. We're so happy. We get to our house we bought. Oh, that was exciting. Guess what we found out right away when we bought our house? There was a rat nest. Uh, on, on top of Ellie's, uh, Ellie's bedroom. They had rats and a nest in the roof next to her bedroom. Welcome to our new house. We had wires that were burning. They couldn't handle our things. We had different cracks in the wall. We had to get to work. So 
we went in there, we got the roof, got that rat nest out, we got the wires all changed, wiped our bank account out, we got all this stuff going on, we got, we got the walls fixed, we put, a, we put a different wall up so we can have a schoolroom. We renovated the joint. When Christ comes into our hearts, it's time to renovate. And let me just tell you something. Some people have a lot more trash and leaky roofs than other people. And he gets in there and notice what it says here. He wants to dwell in our hearts. Notice the word dwell. I love this word dwell. It means to settle down, to feel at home, to be a permanent resident. Some people, they just open up. They see a Christ knocking on the door. Uh-oh, it's Christ. I'm not letting him in. I don't know what he's going to do to me. They don't even let him in. Other people, they let him in, but he can just come a little bit into the house. No, no, don't look at my bedroom. It's dirty. Don't look at over here. The kitchen's a mess. You just stay right here, Jesus. No, he wants to permeate the whole house. He wants the whole heart. And he wants not just to be there. He wants to feel at home there. He wants to be a permanent resident there. He's not coming for a quick little visit with his bags and says, oh, I got into your heart today. Thank you. I'm going into someone else's heart tomorrow. I'm going to go into their heart next week. No, he's in your heart forever. This is amazing. And he says, I, I want to feel at home there. I want to be a permanent resident there. And how do we do that? By faith, we allow him to come in. We open up our hearts to him and say, Lord, come on in and dwell there. Here's what's interesting. Somebody uses this analogy, and I never thought about this before. It's like a newly married couple. The people have been living by themselves for a while. Now they live together, and they got to figure out what each other, what they like and what they don't, and what they can. Now Jesus is in the heart. Now we have to learn, what does he want? What, what, what is he like? Because now we're living with him, not alone anymore. And he doesn't just want to be in the heart. He wants to feel at home there. Paul says, I am praying. Do you understand this prayer? I am praying that God would strengthen you through his spirit to allow his son to feel at home in your heart. What a wonderful prayer. That he would enable you by faith to, to open up your heart to allow Christ to dwell in there and to feel comfortable there. I don't know if you've ever read a little book called My Heart, Christ Home. It is an amazing little book. And it talks about how Christ goes into different areas of the home and cleans them out. He says that's how we have to imagine our own hearts. And allow Christ to come into the different areas and clean the trash. And here's what's wonderful about our Lord. He loves to come in and he loves to remodel. He does. And for some of us, as some person wrote me this week, we're a continuous remodel job. He's still remodeling. He's not done. And so he's praying that. But notice what else it's going to lead us to. This is amazing. We're going to allow Christ to feel at home in our hearts. And then when that happens, notice this here. We're going to be able to grasp Christ's love toward us. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, he's not talking about our love for God. He's talking about God's love for us. There's a difference. 
Our love for God is nowhere near God's love for us. And he's not praying that our love for God would increase, although that's an amazing prayer by itself. And, we, and he prays that for the Philippians, that their love would abound and abound. That's a wonderful prayer. But he's praying that we can grasp God's love for us. Watch this. Rooted and grounded in love. This is amazing. At the very soil, the foundation of the Christian life is in God's love. Everything we do is because God loves us. Verse 18. And may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of what? And to know the very love of Christ. Watch this. God's love is total. You say, what do you mean, Jeremy? His love is wide. It reaches all people groups. Right now we're facing the critical race theory and everybody's trying to do this and that when it comes to race. Let me tell you, I don't care what race you are. His love reaches all people groups. It's wide. For God so loved the what? World that he gave his only begotten son. There's no tongue, no tribe outside of the very love of God. His love is wide. His love is long. It lasts for all eternity. We've all been there before. Had people in our lives that tell you, I love you. And then later on, turn their backs on you and want nothing to do with you. God never does that. His love is long. It lasts forever. In fact, he told Jeremiah, I'm going to love you with an everlasting love. His love lasts for all eternity. His love is high, as high as the heavens are above the earth. So is his love towards us. And his love is deep. It reaches the depths of discouragement, despair, and death. That is his love. And he's saying this, I want you to grasp what? The very love of God that is wide, that is long, that is high, that is deep. And, and I want you to grasp something, look at this, that surpasses knowledge. Wait a minute. He's saying here he wants us to comprehend something that we can't comprehend? Here's what he's saying. If you've ever been to the ocean and dipped in the water, it's beautiful going to the water. Let me tell you something about the ocean. I don't understand all the ocean, do you? There's parts of the ocean that people have never been to, seven miles deep. But that doesn't stop me from getting into the water in my shallow end. I'm not going too deep, by the way. Shallow end, I'm a good swimmer, but not that great. Shallow end and go into the, and hit, have the waves fall me. I like that part. And I can enjoy the water. Here's what he's saying. We don't have to understand how incredible God's love is to enjoy his love. But somebody says, but how can I understand it more? I want to know the depths of his love. I want to really understand the very depths of God's love for me. You want to understand it? Notice this little phrase. And I want you to underline in your Bible, if you have your Bibles, or highlight in your, uh, in your iPad or your phone or whatever you have. Notice this. To know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge. Back to verse 18. That you may be able to comprehend with what? All the saints. Those four words are so important. With all the saints. Here's what he's saying. 
We understand God's love more and more as we spend time with the saints and we talk about their story, about how they experience God's love in their lives. And here's what's encouraging. Everybody has experienced God's love in different ways. Some at different ages, some at different stages. I think about Rick and how he experienced God's love to transport for Christ and how God used that. I was with Dave a couple weeks ago, talked about how he experienced God's love in, in his life. You talked to Brian, how he experienced God. Talked to Walt. You talked to different people. I was with Steve. You talked to different people of how God's love came into their life. And as we understand that, we understand more about God's love than ever before. He reaches us at different parts of our lives, different times, some in grief, some in wonderful times, some as a little uh, a young five-year-old, some as a 50-year-old, some as eight, whatever it may be. Here's what Paul says. I'm praying that God's spirit would give you the very power to enable his son to live inside of you and to feel at home there and, and to feel comfortable there. And not only that, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints as you come together. And talk about your story, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep God's love is. And I'm telling you, I hear stories about how God's love has touched people, and I am amazed at it. I know my story. But when I hear other people say, wow, Jeremy, I was at this point in my life and God came and showed himself and I accepted Jesus Christ and now I understand the love of God in my life. That is wonderful. That is wonderful. And he's saying, you want to comprehend it more? You need to be with all the what? The saints together. He's saying, this is, a, what a prayer. You say, why, why even pray something like this? Why, why even pray for spiritual strength so that Christ can dwell in our hearts. Why even pray for spiritual strength so that we can understand the very love of Christ? Here's why. Look at this passage. Spiritual maturity. Notice what it says here, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. In other words, what he's saying is, is that you will be all that God wants you to be. You will not be running after love in all the wrong places, like that beautiful country song, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places. You won't be doing that because your heart will be filled with the love of God. And when your heart is filled with the love of God, you won't seek love in other places. And yet we're fulfilling our love with people, with, 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 uh, with uh, possessions, with you name it. And we always come up what? Empty. And we expect that love from other people and we demand that love for other people and we suck them dry because they could never provide for us what only God can. He says that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. That you may be spiritually mature. We're going to talk more about the fullness of God in chapter 4. But that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. That you may be spiritually mature. That His love may permeate your, your being. That you may not look for that love in other things that will never satisfy you. You say, can God ever answer a prayer like that? 
We know the Sunday school answer, right? But let me tell you something. God's not only going to answer this prayer. Notice what it says here in verse 20. Can God answer this prayer? Watch this. Now unto him who is it. We can stop right there. Now unto him who is able. Is he able? You better believe he's able. Now unto him who is able. Can somebody, can God answer this prayer if I pray for you that, that God would give you strength in the spirit so that you would be able to allow Christ to dwell in your hearts and understand, can God, is he able? You better believe he's able. But he doesn't stop there. He's got to use more words. Now watch this in the Greek. This is incredible. Now to him who is able to do what? Far more abundantly. One word in the Greek. That means above and beyond. It's above and beyond. And he doesn't stop there. Far more abundantly. Above and beyond. Watch this. Above and beyond. And then he uses the word beyond. So it's kind of like Paul's going nuts here with the words. He's like, can God answer? Oh yeah, you better. Can he answer? You better believe. Far and beyond. How far? Way beyond. You ever tell stories to your kids when they're younger and you really get excited about it? How big was it? It was big! Big! <laughs> Paul's going nuts here. This is far beyond, above and beyond. What? All that we can even ask. And here's what's amazing. All that we could even think. The word there is imagine. I, I, I think about this. When I prayed for a wife, and I prayed a long time, and there were heartaches. And then when I met Katie, boy, God has done above, and she's far from perfect. Far from it. I love saying that. Far from it. But, but unbelievable. I could never even imagine the kids that God would give us together. The in-laws. Well, two out of three ain't bad. But, you know, God, I mean, unbelievable what God has done. I remember getting emotional one time and saying, wow, Katie has a beautiful family. I'm all excited. What a family she has. And then Josh, my brother-in-law, he pipes up. He goes, had, had, until you moved into it. Now we're not beautiful anymore. He got me good with that one. But I never imagined what God would do through that prayer. I asked for a wife. God said, oh, you want a wife? I'm not going to give you a wife. I'm going to give you four amazing children. I'm going to give you wonderful in-laws. I'm going to give you an amazing life with her. God does above and beyond. I prayed for a church when we left Argentina. I didn't know Whitefield Community Bible Church. I knew nothing about it. I look at what God has done. And not only has he answered prayers, the people that he's brought into our lives and allowed us to do lives is above and beyond anything I could have ever imagined. And so what he's saying here is this. Yes, God is able to do something. He's able to do it far above and beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. So when we go before God, we ought to pray like this. Lord, what I'm asking for may seem, you do what you see fit and make it more above, I can't even use the words, beyond everything that I can ever imagine or think. And he will. You say, how? Because look at verse 20. There is power, not only out there. There is power working in us. 
There is power transforming our lives and helping us be all that God wants us to be. There is power that's working within the church. And you say, why would God ever even answer a prayer? I mean, what, what would God want to do with a small church like Whitefield Community Bible Church? I mean, what would, why would God choose to even work through it? We're on a dead-end street for crying out loud. We don't even have a street that goes through it. Why would God want to work through us? We're insignificant people. I mean, why would God even want to do that? Here's why. Verse 21. To Him be the what? Glory. In the church... And guess what? And in his son too. In Christ Jesus. And not only for a few weeks. How long does he want the glory? To all generations. Forever and ever. I remember the story of Arnold Palmer. That great golfer. Probably Rick's idol back then. Did you like him when he was playing? Did you like him a little bit? Anyway. The king of Aruba calls him and says, Arnold, I want you to play golf for me. I want you to showcase your skills. So he goes over to Aruba and he's playing golf in front of the king. And the king's all excited. And he goes, you know what, Arnold? Thank you for doing that. I'm going to get you a club. Thank you. So Arnold forgets about it, goes home. And um, a few months later, he opens up his mailbox. And there's a certificate in there for a golf club. A whole club. A whole country club. See, he thought he was getting a club. And the king gave him a whole country club. We pray for clubs. God gives us whole country clubs. And then at the end of it, he gets all the glory. So what a prayer. So instead of spending an hour and a half asking for people's outer man, why don't we get on our knees and ask God to do something in the inner man? And give them the strength and the power through the Spirit so that Christ may dwell in their hearts and that they can comprehend the very love of Christ that is wide, it's long, it's high, it's deep. And as we meet together and talk to each other about their stories, we just understand how wide it is. And how long it is. God's been loving Chalmer for a long time. How long it is. How wonderful it is. How high it is. And how deep it is. So that we can be all that God wants us to be. And he can answer in ways that we can't even imagine. And why? So he gets the glory for how long? For all generations. That's our God. So let it be our prayers. Can you imagine the prayer that he's praying with them the last time he's with them in person? I don't know. I could just see Paul break it out and saying this, Lord, I pray, I bow my knees to God. I pray that you strengthen them in the inner man. See the Ephesian elders going, what is he praying? You know what I mean? My back's hurting. My shoulder's hurting. He's praying for my inner man. Yeah, your inner man. So that Christ can dwell in their hearts and that they can understand the very love. That's the prayer we ought to pray for Widefield. So here's the question. What is your boldest prayer or greatest dream for you and for those around you? Some of you are praying for this and for that and for things that won't matter a hundred years from now. So what is your boldest prayer and greatest dream for those around you? 
I was going through this and I, I looked and, and I was giving model prayers to some of these prayers and I was reading a prayer that I wrote for one of my children. And, and in that prayer, I said, Lord, I'm praying that you would strengthen my child in the inner man and that you would allow your son to dwell in his or her heart and clean the trash out of that heart and remodel that heart and feel at home in that heart and then help my child, I prayed, help my child to understand that you love them so much and that you love them and how wide and how high and how wonderful your love is and that they won't seek love anywhere else and that they would understand that. And Lord, I know that you can do a lot more than I'm asking right now. But I pray for my child that you would do this. And then I looked at that and I said, well, how many times am I really praying this? I mean, I wrote it. So how many times are we really going to pray this? It's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to practice this. Pray that for me. And pray that for those around you. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we come before you. Wow. We look at this text and we see how far our prayers have gone. We pray for sewage problems and physical problems and different. And those things aren't bad to pray for. And they're not sin. But yet, Lord, I ask how often are we praying for things that really matter? And this prayer... In Ephesians chapter 1, he prays that they would know the hope of their calling. Now he's praying that they would experience that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. That he would feel comfortable there. Lord, I pray right now for everyone here, those listening as well, that we would open up our hearts right now and say, Christ, come into our hearts if you're not there now. And Lord, feel at home. Make all the changes you need to make. Clean up all the things that you need to clean. You know it all. We can't hide any part of our hearts from you. So, Lord, here's our hearts. Take them, seal them, do what you want with them. And then, Lord, I pray that we would, with each other, comprehend, grasp how wide your love is. Everyone we meet in the supermarket or anywhere we go, your love can reach them. Any race, any tribe, any tongue, doesn't matter. Your love is wide. How long your love is. Oh, just to think that you, you not only say you love us, but you love us for eternity. That will never change. Nothing could ever separate us from your love. How high your love is as we look up and, and higher than the heavens. Your love is towards us. And how deep your love is. In the middle of those discouragements and despair, we don't know what to do. You love us. Thank you so much for that. 
so that we would be filled up full to the God's measure, that we would be all that you want us to be, that we wouldn't be looking for love in all the wrong places. Now unto you, Lord, who is able to do exceedingly beyond, above and beyond, all that we ask or think. To you be the glory where in the church and in your son, not only now, but for all generations, forever and ever. So we're asking you to do this in our hearts, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. Amen. Won't you stand with us as we close out the service?